0: The Hot 4 podcast this week is proudly sponsored by Crisp Malt. Since 1870, Crisp has been producing the finest malt at Great Rybra in Norfolk. With five maltings located in the best barley growing areas in the UK, they produce a wide range of malts and non-malted cereals in 25 kilogram sacks for craft brewers and distillers all over the world. They still work one of the last remaining floor maltings in England and use it to make their pioneering heritage malts. They also craft roasted and crystal malts of unprecedented quality on their vertical all-electric tower roasting plants, the only one of its kind in the UK. Check out their website for more information about their range of malts and also their educational blogs and webinars too at chrismalt.com. That's chrismalt.com. I'm Nick Law and you're listening to the Hop Forward podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hop Forward is a weekly podcast dedicated to the craft beer industry featuring interviews, discussions, and stories from the whole brewing supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a glass, pour yourself a beer, and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Hello, beer buddies, and welcome to another sesh on the Hot Forward podcast, the last sesh of this season. This is like... When you go to a beer festival and you've got an all-day ticket and they've broken the event down into an afternoon session and an evening session, and there's a little break in between for the bar staff and the brewers to have something to eat and a bit of a chill. And you get turfed out during that bit. That's what this is like because hot Ford isn't going away. It's just going to have a little bit of a rest over the summer while I go on holiday, travel to London. London, I haven't been to London for a while. And generally just try and catch up with work and life and everything so that's what's happening now i've saved the best until the last and i say the best and i've i've been sitting on this for a while because i'm going to play you a little clip first and i don't know why i recorded it but i just felt at the time that i should get my phone out and document what was happening so i'm not going to introduce what this clip is i'm just going to play it so take a listen to this so I'm doing this live from the beer cellar To capture the raw emotion Of having a bad Bad canning day So six weeks ago I Brewed a Keller beer And put it in my unitank And for six weeks It's been sat there Conditioning Maturing And generally Tasting awesome So I've got a, a bit here and it does taste really good. Issue I've got is that I think it's over carbonated. So the canning setup I've got is fairly new to me. I've done a few beers through it before and although I had some fobbing issues, they were short lived and I managed to despite losing about 10 liters of beer on a one barrel setup salvage the beer but this one I've you know I went in today feeling really positive I'd made some amendments to my setup from last time And thought yeah this is going to this is going to go really well you know um and alas it's just foam all day foam fucking foam and I do wonder sometimes why I got into brewing, if I'm honest Like, I don't know, I feel this pull towards it And <laughs> repulsed by it at the same time You know, I'm stood here looking at the sight glass Being like, that looks perfect, you know It's, it's running through the sight glass really well But it's coming out into the buckets as foam Because I'm about to dump it so, yeah, not, I try not to be too downbeat about this kind of thing, you know. But when you've spent all day trying to can something and it's just not happening, it, it, it's so, so heart-wrenching, particularly when, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get Emmanuel's back on its feet. And it was tough because, you know, I left the brewery where I was at before and was doing it, and felt like I needed a clean break from there to be able to, you know, brew on my own terms and all the rest of it. But I just, even though I've invested so much money and time and energy into this equipment, it just canning is just you know it's it's a new it's a new ball game to me. I'm so used to bottle conditioning. Um, Just getting the CO2 levels right It's just proved really tough So here I am I managed to get a K out of it So at least a keg will go somewhere Have a happy home People can enjoy the beer on draft somewhere But it's been a tough day today And I've been left wondering why Why I'm even doing this so, answers on a postcard if you're listening to this. Okay, folks, that's the sound of me losing my shit in my brewery because I was trying to can a beer that I had overcarbonated and I'd set everything up the day before and it was all looking good. And then trying to get into can, it was foaming everywhere. So this is an IPA, it's not something I brew with an ale yeast that just chomps through it in three days and after a cold crash and a bit of carbonating, I'm good to go within a week or so. This was a lager. It was my first lager. It was a Keller beer, tasted good, and I'd been sat on this beer, conditioning for seven whole weeks, seven weeks, okay, seven weeks of running a chiller. Bearing in mind, my brewery is in my cellar, so I can hear that chiller pretty much constantly when I'm trying to watch TV, when I'm eating my tea, when I go to bed, when I'm trying to work, at all times of day, the whirring and the sound of a pump as it pushes glycol through a chilling jacket. And I lost it. And I don't think I'd really knew how bad I was feeling until I did. I know you guys know I have a faith, a religious background. I never try and force religion down people's throats, just beer. Obviously, I know you're not all believers. You just craft beer devotees. That's totally fine. Okay, I'm just telling you my perspective. In my cellar, at that moment, I knew I'd lost it when I started shaking my fist at the sky, at the sky, and swearing at God, why are you (laughs) doing this to me? Why can't you just make it work? And as I stood there hyperventilating, I knew something was really wrong. But it was only the next week when I was sat in front of my computer with my hoodie up, just feeling completely the end of myself that I felt like I needed to do something. Now, I'm I'm being really honest with you. and really quite vulnerable and raw here. But I've I've phoned the Samaritans. If you don't know what the Samaritans is, then it's like a helpline where you can phone people and just talk to them. And I, I opened up to the Samaritans and said, I, I, I feel awful. I feel depressed. And the person said, maybe you need to go see the doctor, which is what I did and got antidepressants. And it's funny how mental health, you don't notice it a lot of the time until it trips you up. You don't know you're in a bad place until it trips you up. So when everything started to open up again, I wasn't in a great place anyway. But then I had a bit of a nasty incident where someone took a quote out of context with something that had been said. And I got all kinds of messages and abuse hurled at me. And the whole thing just kind of added up. So by the time I'm stood in that cellar losing it, it's not just like, oh, Nick's lost his shit all of a sudden. These things often build up over time. And I think when you work in the beer industry, particularly with the nature of working in a brewery or particularly working in a bar and being around alcohol or thinking about alcohol, if you throw that into the mix, it's almost like pouring fuel onto the fire and watching it rage all the more. Now, you can have a great relationship with alcohol and it can help your mental health, I believe, in moderation. But it's a very fine line to walk for that balance between enjoying it, and it being something that helps you relax and that you enjoy the flavors and all the rest of it and relying on it too much and obsessing about it. So I wanted to cover the topic of mental health because actually I've found the last few months of running the podcast really hard. I'm not going to stop doing the podcast. I love the podcast, but it takes a lot of my time. And I want to give that time. I want to give that time to you because you'll listen to this and you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy it. If you do enjoy it, please leave a review on iTunes because that helps more people find it and they can enjoy it more. But it does take a lot of time and it's been quite hard doing these intros and feeling like I'm not being totally upfront about where I'm at. I'm in a better place now I'm on antidepressants. I'm in a better place now that I'm on the waiting list to have CBT, which is Cognitive Behaviour Therapy. I've seen a counsellor before several times in the past and that's been really helpful. And you've got to do what you've got to do to make your life a healthier place. I'm, I'm taking a break from the podcast over August. So I just have a bit of a fallow season so I can just rest for a while and recalibrate myself. But I wanted to end this season talking about mental health because I can't imagine many people have come out of the coronavirus pandemic, not that it's over by any stretch, without feeling overwhelmed without feeling in some ways that they're busier than ever, without feeling like they don't know what's going to happen next. And that causes a lot of anxiety, whether it's jobs that have been lost, businesses that have had to take on massive loans, having to lose staff, selling less beer, less customers. It's been tough. It's been tougher on everyone. And it's little wonder why people are angry. Yeah, I lost my shit in the cellar, but I remember going for a run last April and a man losing it at me because he felt like I was running on the wrong side of the road. I was trying to give a family some space, social distancing. And the only place I could run was on the same side as the bike. And he just started yelling at me about me being on that side of the road. I don't even think it was about me being on that side of the road. You've got to ask the question, what's the thing behind the thing here? Because usually if you're losing it over a mash tun, over a cannon machine, that's not seaming properly, over a beer that's not pouring as it should out the keg font. There's usually a thing behind the thing. And it's good to ask yourself, what is the thing behind the thing here? So one of the people I was keen to get on the podcast was Danny McColl from McCall's Brewery. One of the reasons I approached Danny in particular on this subject was because I saw a beer called Let's Eat Pies and Talk About Men's Mental Health. Now, a beer name like that, come on, like that says it all, doesn't it? Plus, it's a black and white pepper bitter, which sounds super interesting. But 10p from every can of that beer is donated to the Men's Pie Club which opens once a week for local guys in Newcastle upon time. And it's about tackling social isolation and improving mental health. It's for guys who live alone or feel alone or just need an excuse to get out more. Because let's face it, we all need to talk, don't we? So I reached out to Danny to ask if he wants to come on the podcast to talk about mental health, to which he said, count me in. So we talk about everything from having coping mechanisms in place and the importance of talking and what it's like working in craft beer and struggling with mental health and that being an ongoing battle. Normally when I do these podcasts, I have a whole bunch of questions lined up, but somehow it didn't feel appropriate to write those out today and do it as an interview type thing. I just want to chat openly with a newfound friend about the struggles of mental health and share experiences. Hopefully you'll get something out of this. If you struggle with mental health, then there are a few things you can do to help yourself. Firstly, I would suggest going to see your doctor and getting professional medical advice. If you need to talk to someone, the drinks trust are there to help people in the alcohol industry. Someone to talk to, the lines are always open. Do what I did and talk to the Samaritans. Really helpful. Again, just to talk to somebody. And get counselling, whether that's state funded or private, if you can afford it. Having a counsellor is massively helpful when you're working through your issues. Even if you don't think you have issues, it's great to talk to a counsellor. Because actually, I think the, we all have stuff going on and it's, it can be like getting an MOT for your car for your brain and your well-being and your mental health so again before we dive into this week's episode we'll do the necessary blurb as like last week doesn't quite feel fitting to do a little joke run into that Um, but I just want to say thanks for tuning in to this season of the Hot 4 podcast like I say I'm going to take a break over August but we'll be back in September with episodes from Wild Goose about canning from Chris Malting Group about heritage malts and a whole bunch of other guests from across the world of beer. I hope you have a fantastic summer. I really hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do like the podcast or you've only just discovered it, please subscribe. Please leave a review on iTunes. It helps massively. And for the time being, cheers. And here's all the usual necessary blurb. The Hot 4 podcast this week is proudly sponsored by Chris Malt. Since 1870, Crisp has been producing the finest malt at Great Ribera in Norfolk. With five maltings located in the best barley growing areas in the UK, they produce a wide range of malts and non-malted cereals in 25kg sacks for craft brewers and distillers all over the world. They still work one of the last remaining floor maltings in England and use it to make their pioneering heritage malts. They also craft roasted and crystal malts of unprecedented quality on their vertical all-electric tower roasting plants, the only one of its kind in the UK. Check out their website for more information about their range of malts and also their educational blogs and webinars too at crispmalt.com. That's crispmalt.com. For now, grab a beer and let's crack open today's discussion. Today on the Hot Four podcast, I'm joined by Danny McCall of McCall's Brewery in Sunderland. Am I? In, I'm in the right direction, right? No,
1: no, no, oh, no, no, no.
0: That's epic fail. <laughs> no. Where
1: are we? Out, out of the whole of the northeast, probably Sunderland's the worst place to plumb for. <laughs>
0: oh no. Um, I'm I'm going to leave that in. Okay, so uh, let's let's, yeah. <laughs> let's try let's try that again. So I'm joined by Danny McCall from McCall's Brewery, which is based in.
1: Evenwood, just south of Bishop Auckland, County Durham. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) I'm surprised you didn't hang up at that.
0: (laughs) It's a classic, classic one. It's a little bit like if people say to me, from Barnsley, I'm like, no, I'm from Sheffield. You know. Right.
1: Do you know uh, what that was really interesting? I wouldn't have a clue about that intricacy down in your area. Right. Uh, It's, yeah, I haven't got a clue. Yeah, to be fair, they are fairly close and,
0: To be fair to people, that might say I'm from Barnsley, I did go to Barnsley College and lived in a township of the north of Sheffield, which is right on the edge of Barnsley. So it could be argued either way. So, yeah, man, I mean, um, I'd love to know uh, a little bit about you and your brewery and how you set that up. So, um, yeah, just feel free to, to launch in.
1: The first kind of instance of a brewing happened not long after meeting my wife back in 2004. So a long time ago, kind of before then, I was just John Smiths, Carlin, Guinness, nothing yep. fresh. Not, I didn't know anything was on the horizon, didn't know craft beer was really a thing. Uh, then meeting my wife, she's just got a much better appreciation of like the creative things in life. like mm. she's, she is an artist, but then like food and drink just exploded kind of when I met her. Uh, her and her dad are massive Belgian beer fans. So literally meeting her within six months, <laughs> I think I was maybe even in, in in the north of France on holiday with them, just going like, what? This, this is co- like a completely different world of beer. It, it, it even developed into like Cascale. Like in in pubs, I would never have touched Cascale. And she kind of brought that into my kind of, Repertoire and my tasting and stuff. Uh, but then she bought us a homebrew kit and we'd only been together four months. So Christmas 2004, it's kind of like just forced into a bit of home brewing <laughs> Kind of a general routine for brewers a lot of the time. Yep. So kind of just tinkered away for eight years doing a multitude of different jobs. Um, and then actually just approached a brewery for a for a job in, I think it was 2011, 2012. Uh, Quite a traditional brewery, but a 20-barrel brewery, so knocking out like 150 casks a week. Yep. Uh, Quite hard labour, and I went in there as kind of just a a right-hand man, but then within like a year, I was like every batch of beer, like three 20-barrel batches every week. Like It was just crazy. Nice. Um, but was there was that? a lot. There wasn't a lot of creativity. It was called Tyrrell uh, up in Cumbria, right. so quite traditional. It just kind of done like the Lake District and a little bit of Lancashire. Um, but it was all, It was pretty much ninety percent cask ale. Um, so I learned a lot. Learned kind of by rote and learned the scales and quantities and the demand of a twenty-barrel brewery. But then obviously you get that little internal nagging feeling about like your own destiny and <laughs> yeah. your creative kind of flair wants to take over. Uh, if somebody told us how hard running a business was, maybe that would have subdued them <laughs> feeling. But no, um, I, I got the itch and after maybe a year's worth of planning, decided to set the brewery up in, in a lovely little rural kind of ex-mining village uh, in County Durham and I wouldn't say haven't looked back, but have kind of almost got it to a point where we're we're starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel. Nice, yeah. In County Durham and not in Sunderland. <laughs> yeah, that's what <laughs> we happily serve pubs in Sunderland and bottle shops, but uh, we're definitely not based there. Right. How big's the brewery? Uh, so the brew house is twenty barrel or like thirty two. Heck. Kind of all aspect it because I didn't want to uproot and move. And I'm settled quite close to the brewery. So we wanted this to be like we're, we're one hit at it. Um, and then we've got four 10 barrel fermenters and a 20 barrel bright tank. So we can right. we can brew quite a bit. We're about 1,000 heck a year at the minute. Obviously, the pandemic's taken a little bit of a, a nudge into that. But uh, no, hopefully. The next kind of year, 2022, is going to be a good big growth year for us. Yep. So what's, what's your long-term
0: plan? Where do you want to be?
1: Uh, we definitely need to grow it substantially to kind of really settle down and get through the kind of finance and the kind of set-up stage of uh, the brewery. Probably depend on where the new like tax mm. threshold settles. I think we probably won't go above 2,100 in the lifetime of the brewery. it's I don't know, maybe things will change in the next few years, but I think we're probably just aiming to get to the 2,100 and then see what happens. But I'd hopefully hit that in the next 18 months. So it's not like we're just going to hopefully get there in five, 10 years' time. I hope we get there and then really make some decisions in the next couple of years as to how big we want
0: to go nice nice so um today i wanted to talk about mental health Uh, i know it's a topic you're quite open to chatting about so i haven't prepared any questions for this normally i think uh, if you listen to the podcast you can kind of tell like you know i've got some very well-worded questions but i'm just sort of diving straight in i kind of feel like it's a topic that you just need to be open and honest about and i've i've got loads of struggles um so I guess just off off the cuff, why is it something that you're quite keen to, to talk about? Because I know you've done the, the beer, uh, which maybe you want to chat about as well, the um, let's talk about pies and something or other. I can't yeah, know, yeah, of yeah.
1: Um, let, let's eat pies and talk about men's mental health. That's it. Uh, from like from a personal point of view, um, kind of with setting up the business, you kind of maybe just think you're invincible. And I was, what? 35. So I'm still kind of thinking I'm like full of it and I can just nail this. But like in the last four years, like I've realized how pretty prevalent personally and with people close to us, how prevalent men- mental health issues are. Um setting up a business isn't much fun. And you find some pretty dark moments. Um but you you realize like you're not the only one, and it's actually like other family members or other close friends um, and sometimes it's not even like they're it's a topic of conversation all of the time where you can kind of start to see the signals and like the the warning signs in other people and I've definitely started to talk about it a little bit more so I think as a, as a business I was kind of always wondering if there was something I could do a little bit more than just sell my product. And then during the pandemic, it kind of came really obvious that like mental health from a personal point of view, but then there's the growing, bigger growing issue that we had. to just stick my neck out and start talking about it a little bit more. Yeah. Just hold that thought a sec. What's up, my love?
0: Sorry, my daughter, one of my kids has come down. What's the matter, Daddy? Not a problem, man. Not a problem. <laughs> What's up? You want milk now? Just give me a
1: sec, Danny. Hang on. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) No, I think there you go. There's like work-life balance right in a nutshell there.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's tough, isn't it? Um, I think one of the things that I found when I was at Sheffield Brewery Company, um, my kids were... How old would they have been? It was like 2015 when I started um, doing stuff there, and then it was 2016 when I started working there, so what's that five years ago? So yeah, five they, years. Yeah, they were younger. I can't think off the cuff how old they would have been, but they were much younger. Yeah, and um, it was it was really tough, um, you know, trying to balance having either preschoolers or um, you know infant schoolers, and my wife who's a teacher working full time and trying to run a brewery. Like that's that's not
1: a good combination. <laughs> Do you know what? It's almost identical to what right. we had here. Uh, my wife was a teacher. We just had a newborn and I decided to set up the brewery. And it is pretty much a recipe for mental health issues, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So but I, I can totally appreciate where you're coming from.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons I stopped doing Emmanuel's, which was my brewing sort of sub-brand. It was a sub-brand of Sheffield Brewery for a while that I, I brought in. Um, But it got to this point where I was, I was um, doing a lot of research on contract brewing and setting up my own brewery somewhere, maybe like a small kit and then contract brew the the big stuff. And um, so I had all that going on. And then I was also trying to get the Sheffield Brewery um, to, you know, growing as well. And, um, you know, and then trying to balance family and my own mental health issues that I had at the time. And I just found that I, I it just all became too much. And I just thought something's got to give. And I, I stopped doing Emmanuel's for a while, which was really, in, in hindsight, it was really, really hard, but it was the right decision. And then it wasn't too much longer. It was probably about half a year when I stopped at the burial together, um, just because I, I, I knew I needed to, to get out and just kind of, press the reset button really and, um, and, and everything, but it's, it is tough. And I, I don't think a lot of people talk about it too often, you know, the, how, how tough it can be, not just working in a brewery, but if you, if you own one, um, or you, or you want to own one, you know, and you are kind of juggling that part time with something else, it's, it's so hard.
1: It, it really is. And I don't think a lot, I think a lot of people think that it's a hell of a lot of fun. And it's just like almost like just creative kind of arts, just beer at the end of the day. (laughs) But actually, it's so close to the people's hearts who set the businesses up that you kind of just get fully engrossed in it, almost like over the top. And that it does, it just takes over pretty much, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, how did you manage that transition yourself?
1: From like kind of working at a brewery to... Setting one up. Yeah, yeah, and kids and all the rest of it. I think definitely in the early days, I was just like, oh, just smash this out of the park. I'll do 16-hour days. I'll come home. I'll sit in front of the laptop. Bosh, yeah, not a problem, not a problem. And then uh, probably it would have probably been about two years ago when it was just like uh, my little one would have been about four, five, um, my wife, just she's got her own business, so she's in pretty much exactly the same boat, but just from a different uh, business point of view. And you, you do, I didn't realise any warning signs whatsoever, and it's just like you're just running yourself into the ground physically. And I think that's probably the first thing. Mm. Uh, but then you, you just make stupid decisions, which just like just make every other decision get worse and worse and then probably, actually I'm probably condensing the time frame too much it was probably a year before the pandemic kind of kicked in that I was just not in a good place just absolutely, like the brewery wasn't particularly making a name for itself Uh the beer wasn't in tip-top condition because my head wasn't and then I think I just came in one night and I think it was my wife who kind of just said, Danny, you're not having a great time. You're you're probably depressed. Get yourself to the doctors. Mm. And honestly, I think from that point forward, although it didn't immediately get better, uh, I think just having somebody say that and recognise it in us kind of started, that, that was the bottom. And I started to kind of pick up from that point of view, Um, I remember speaking to my mother at the same kind of time, like after my wife had mentioned it, and just speaking to people around you and getting it off your chest and out of your head really is the biggest point in that kind of mental health journey. Um, And then I think kind of slowly but surely, and I don't think I'll ever get to that youthful Danny of just beating the world down and just hitting everything head on, I think you do start to just deal with it, cope with it, and kind of realise when things aren't so good and to kind of force yourself into kind of balancing your, your work and your life. So, yeah, the transition's been difficult. It's been a hell of a lot of fun. I've, lo- I- I've loved a lot of it, uh, learned a hell of a lot, and I kind of now feel... A little of like four years behind us now, a bit more mature in that we're starting to make a lot more sensible and kind of positive and mature decisions and steps yeah. forward in the brewery. So yeah, a lot crammed into four years, a lot of downs, but a hell of a lot of ups and we feel like it's starting to turn a corner now. Mm.
0: So how, how many people work at the brewery? Just you of have interest?
1: Uh, literally full time, there's two people. Right. So there's me and a head brewer. Uh, during the pandemic, it was just me. Right. So I just stripped it right back. We've been up to four people in the past, uh, but now it's just me, my head brewer. So two full-time members of staff. Uh, and then there's a good part-time member of staff who works at the tap room and helps out on, like, canon days and stuff, Uh So there's three at the minute, but we are literally just hiring a salesperson, full-time salesperson at the minute. So that's another decision. But we also, like one of them maturer kind of decisions is we've outsourced all of our kind of marketing and social media to a really good freelancer. So so I've started to kind of slowly delegate and kind of remove my workload. Our accountants do all we're bookkeeping now. That used to be me for three years. So I've taken quite a lot of the workload away from us without physically bringing in people into the business. Yeah. Have you, I guess two questions off the back of that. Have
0: you found um, that delegations made a, a big positive impact on your mental health? And I guess the other question I was gonna ask, which is why I asked how many people work for McCall's Brewery um, was um, if if you're not in a, a great place as a business owner, um, how do you manage to keep yourself in check when you're dealing with your employees? Because I, I know from experience, if I'm not in a good place and then I've got to deal with other people and they might not be in a good place, you know, it can just, if, if you're not careful, it can be like the blindly and the blind and you, your dysfunction can cause even more dysfunction on them and all the rest of it. So I, I know there are two quite opposite questions there. So I'll let you tackle whichever you want first. No, no.
1: Uh, so the 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 first part, the kind of delegation and the kind of removal of the workload on my shoulders, um, has been massive for kind of my maybe it's for my mental health, but definitely for just my work life balance. I find now, and I don't know if this will be a surprise to people who don't have their own businesses, but I can probably switch off at maybe nine o'clock at night now, and <laughs> and and, and, I, and I get to a point where I just go, do you know what? I'm just shutting that laptop and I'm sod it because the kind of day-to-day boring stuff, like doing social media posts, I used to sit up all hours a night, getting them prepped and everything. That it's, that's, a, that's a full-time job. And somebody yeah. taking that office has really eased the burden. So if somebody's in a position and listening to this and thinking, right, how, where can I spend money or how can I just give myself a breather? getting them, them really important but almost dull, from my point of view, jobs, off your workload is mega. So yeah. delegate and delegate and delegate. Uh, and then the, my mental health and the effect on my employers, uh, at the time, you you just think you're, you're doing the right thing. I don't know. Maybe it's... No, looking back now, I was, yeah, made poor decisions in regards to kind of not how I treat employees because I think uh, I kind of work with them quite well but I think my expectations and say if sales weren't going well or the beer wasn't in tip-top condition yeah you you don't make the right decisions and you just kind of you start to panic and that kind of leads that just snowballs into stupider decisions like packaging beers that aren't good or dropping prices and trying to push sales a little bit in the wrong directions. Mm. So honestly, just trying to delegate and step away from the business and make right decisions. Uh, I'll just skip back a little bit actually to the kind of effective mental health and how I like, kind of look towards employees now is that we've actually introduced a mental health policy within like what we're, co- were employees' contracts now? Obviously, there's only one person signed that today, but the whole point was that they were fully aware that it was a topic not to be kind of brushed over or swept under the carpet. That if I was feeling shit or they were feeling shit, that yeah, it's it's a in, in in our brewery, it's a 100% male atmosphere, but that's not a reason not to talk about it. And whoever mm. comes into the brewery in the future, it doesn't matter. It'll always be an open topic of conversation. Uh, and it already actually has been with my new brewer, uh, not him personally, but other people that he knows. And it's just been really important to just go, do you know what? Sod what we've got going in the brewery. Let's just talk about where we're at. And... Yeah. It just makes for a really positive, mature, critical kind of environment. So can it can it uh recommend getting it out in the open with your your employees and in the workspace in general, highly enough? Yeah. I guess and
0: this is gonna sound a little bit like um management speak, um, but <laughs> it's a little bit like that story with the um the golden goose and laying the golden eggs. You know, if you take care of the golden goose. Then it'll lay the golden eggs. But if you don't, you know, you expect those golden eggs, then the the eggs will dry up sooner or later.
1: And uh, it's it's a false economy. It totally, I wish, I wish somebody had kind of just rattled us about four years ago and just said, Do you know what? Take a week out of the business, like get your priorities together, think what's going around in your head, and then start afresh from there um, yeah it's it is if you don't focus on treating people with like compassion and like kind of understanding that they have their own problems in their own life if you don't incorporate that into your business and your work and ethic then it, it does just spiral and you're not looking after the people who are gonna like help the business grow and develop and everybody have a good time so totally. Highly recommend looking after that golden egg.
0: Mm. I think one of the problems with something like capitalism is that it's so profit driven and growth driven that it comes at the expense of people. Whereas there's, there's definitely been a shift over the last, I don't know, four or five years um, to a more holistic approach to a work atmosphere. And it's, I mean, it's rather telling. Um, as I, I was recording the intro to this episode earlier today. Um and I referenced um that the most two listen to episodes of the Hot Four podcast are uh, number one is the episode I did on mental health, with Paul Jones from Cloudwater, and then number two is all about uh, biofilm and cleaning a brewery. Like, that just tells you two two things about brewers right there. One hundred issues and cleaning.
1: One hundred percent. Yeah, I, I think I, that's probably for anybody listening who's wanting to get into either owning their own brewery or just working in a brewery, them two podcasts will probably be essential listening because it's almost where the crux of the whole industry is. Cleaning and how your workspace and how your head fits within the work-life balance of brewing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I definitely think there's something to be said for um, particularly the the role of a brewer in a brewery, not just for brewing the beer, but like the the cleaning and stuff. And I I know it can be a little bit laborious, but there's something very, that kind of manual labor, there is something actually very therapeutic about that, uh, particularly when it comes to um, your mental state. Because I I know that um, actually that the happiest days I had um, well, e- even now when I'm I'm brewing, you know, the happiest days I have are when I'm like brewing something or canning something, doing physical something physical. That physical that action is just is really good for
1: your mental health. Do you know what? I, I think I'd like echo that a hundred percent. My workload before getting into brewing was like a hundred percent physical, and then going into the, the, my previous like brewing role. Was was 100% a physical hard day. And I loved managing that in my head. And then I think going back to one of your original questions, how I transitioned from that job to taking on the brewery and having to run it as a business, that's the transition that really tripped me up was moving away from just a physical role and managing that. I loved it to having to spin all of the plates of, accountancy, social media, getting the product in tip top condition, getting it out to folks and then doing all the invoicing and the business and try and not even growing a business, just trying to keep it running mm. that transition into a business headspace, I'd say I've probably only arrived there since after Christmas this year is that I'm stuck. Like I've taken a backward step now in the, physicality of the brewery uh which i'm quite enjoying to be fair because i'm taking on the responsibility of the the business side a little bit more but it's taken us four years to probably realize that jesus it was a hell of a big change from just physically making a brewery tick to actually making a full business yeah. function yeah.
0: yeah i totally get that do you, do you think the pandemic accelerated that for you
1: Hundred percent. You alluded to like having a reset point and like taking a breather. Although the early days of the pandemic were just insane for my mental health, I think probably across the nation as well, and mm. um, across the world, um, it actually forced us to just kind of step away from the 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 physical the physical space. In the office at the brewery. So I spent a lot more time outside in the garden with my family and started to think a little bit more long term rather than just head in the sand, just trying to get this beer into package and just get invoices and get it delivered. And Monday, reset, do it again. It forced us to get away from that. Yep. So it really ex- accelerated the decisions and the changes that had to happen. It might not, It might have been the end of the brewery if it hadn't happened. It might, have, it might have stumbled on for a couple more years and never got the opportunity to make the changes. But the pandemic just gave us a chance to go, yeah, right, this is what's going to happen in X, Y and Z months' time. And we're slowly starting to put them into place. The salesperson is the next thing. Changes at the brewery are currently happening to make the product better, which just wouldn't have happened without the pandemic or the consequences of the pandemic. Uh, And then plans in the future will hopefully come into place in the next, like, six to 12 months. So, yeah, definitely sped it up a hell of a lot. Nice.
0: So, I mean, let's just transition to talking about the beer a little bit. So, I I mean, might as well start with the um, let's eat pies and talk about mental health. Spot on. Um, I got it right that time. I was sort of kind of squinting and trying to recall it from my long-term memory. Um, so it's what it says, black and white pepper bitter. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, how yeah. How does that
1: work? Do you know what? Uh, it is absolutely like a brilliant little beer. And how I always describe it is it's a traditional bitter. And I'll explain the reason behind behind why choosing that style anyway. But it's just like seasoning. It's just like your salt and pepper on food. It just heightens the and accentuates like the, the pepperiness of the hops. The, we've got some rye malt in there, so it just lifts that. It dances off the sweetness. And then like it lingers long into the bitterness of the beer as well. So it, I think the, the, the pepper element almost puts people off to a sense that they think it's almost going to be like a sneezy, like, really nasal beer, but it's not, it just accentuates the flavours and the character of the beer, so, like, how it turned out, we were really, really pleased with. Uh, the backstory about how it all kind of, how that style and the flavour and the kind of black and white pepper ended up in the beer is, the, the pie club or the, the people who are responsible for making the pies, uh, they, they, or they did own a lot of social enterprise based kitchens are a food based company or they're a food based social enterprise. Uh, they do a lot of great work for like people who can't afford food or like people who need to get work into the food industry. They're kind of like a hub for that kind of activity. Uh, but we knew that the beer had to have a food or an ingredient, like an additional ingredient mm. uh, in there without it being too kind of crafty, too kind of complex, like a big pastry stout or like a really fruited sour or something. We didn't want it to be a kind of exclusive. We wanted it to be really quite accessible, and that's why the traditional element of the just the bitter wanted to be there. Um, it's quite low ABV, so 3.6%. We didn't want it to be bringing up kind of connotations over alcohol and uh, mental health issues, so we wanted to keep it quite low. But we wanted it to kind of hopefully, and what it has developed into, is a cask-based pub beer so that the pub then starts to become the focus. So we had kind of one eye on the future of the beer, thinking, will this sell in pubs if it kind of takes off? So it being a traditional bitter, it had to work with where we hoped it would go. And it has landed in pubs now. So it's kind of starting to work as a big talking point. Fantastic. I remember um,
0: there was a brewery in Chesterfield. I think they were called Spire Brewery. They don't exist anymore, but um, yeah. I remember years ago they did a, it was called Sergeant Peppercorn Stout. And, that, <laughs> and, and um, you know, for for a pepper stout, it, uh, yeah, just like you described, it wasn't like crazy, you know, getting a mouthful of peppercorns and chewing them, but it, it was, it just brought this dynamic that I've not tasted in
1: a beer since, so... Weirdly, um, about two months before the concept of the beer came, uh, we bought my father-in-law uh a, a private kind of tasting session with Roger Protts over Christmas. Oh, nice. So his Christmas present was uh, Bateman's Brewery. Uh I think Adnams were involved and Roger Protz, and they'd done tastings of they got like a full case of beer, all the participants, and they uh, they randomly got talking about a peppered beer. And this was before this came out. And apparently, and if you look it up on Google, Bateman's brought out a peppered beer in supermarket. Ultra craft this yeah. with a pe- <laughs> with a sachet of pepper attached to the bottle that you added to nice. the beer. And apparently it was stunning. Uh, they were they were talking about it all night on the on the like tasting session. So once I heard about that, I was just like, "This beer has got to happen," uh, and it kind of inspired me to take it and like to make it happen. So nice. that, it all fell into place.
0: Yeah, well, there's nothing new under the sun, you know. It's, uh, there, every, isn't. there is. There is. Done somewhere, no, somewhere. So um, totally. Yeah, and um, the the other um, beer that I've noticed of interest is the is it Beatrice de Guard? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I'm uh, talking,
1: that sounds crazy. Do you know what? It is both, like, the idea is crazy. And I think the concept for people to get into it is, like, a bit insane. But actually, it works 100% as a beer. And, like, we, it's the third season that we've brewed it now. So it's, like, a a spring seasonal. Mm. And we wouldn't brew it again if it didn't work or if it wasn't, like, if it didn't get the uptake. Uh, The whole concept was that, it's a, it's a kind of farmer's land kind of labourer's beer, like the beer de garde. Yep. But then the beetroot is obviously like of the land as well. That was kind of like the creative bend. But then the kind of sweetness and the like pepperiness and the earthiness of beetroot is insanely compatible with like the hops and the robustness of that beer, of the style So when you put them together, it's not a big juice bomb. It's not like a crafty, like smoothie-style beer. It's crystal clear. It's lagered for five weeks, uh, and it just really, like, lifts the sweetness. The beetroot flavor is intense, but then the hoppy kind of uh, pepperiness and earthiness really elevates as well with the beetroot being in there. And just to crowbar in, uh, we're new head brewer who used to work at Cameron's over in Hartlepool and their craft arm, which was Tooth & Claw. Um, me and him actually deli- uh, created it three years ago. It, we'd done a collaboration with Tooth and & Claw, and it was a, it was me and him who created it together. And it just happens at full circle, like four years later. He's, he's due to be brewing it uh, at our brewery now, nice. so... Yeah, he's he's a perfect fit, and that beer kind of encapsulates the two of us as well. Yeah. Well, funnily enough,
0: I was going to bring up your your, your new head brewer. So, um, I mean, how how's that? How have you found that transition? Um, you know, and and what's he bringing? It's obviously a bunch of experience by the sounds of it. But like, uh, you know, what's it like? Sort of relinquishing that
1: control to somebody else. To brew absolutely, the beer honestly, it's it's brilliant. Uh, we were talking about this uh, on Monday. He was like, how are you coping with me? Just like doing everything. I'm like, sigh. I'm loving it. I, <laughs> I, I thought I'd maybe be very anxious about that's my baby and that's how you do it. And I'm like, no, this is a new chapter. How he approaches brewing, how he deals with like following the BF through, right through the packaging. Like from like early doors, design of beers. Right through to their dispense. He's such a well-versed, mature individual mm. that relinquishing any kind of like father kind of uh, tendencies towards my beer have been so easy. It's been so easy to let go. And to be fair, every day is still a massive like deliberation with where the beers are at, where the beers are going, what we're brewing the direction of the brewery and the beers that are coming out and what McCall stands for, he totally gets that. So the conversation on a day to day basis is still very intense and very critical, critical, but he's 100% the right person to yeah. be having it with. So it's, it, it is, it's, he's a breath of fresh air and it's a totally new chapter for us. Yeah. Well,
0: that's fantastic. You know, when, when you get that right fit in a company and, um, you know, it's and a lot of that time it comes down to to personality. I think um, more so than experience and skill, um, because you know there are, there are lots of people that are equally, if not more, skilled. But you know, um, you get the right fit. Um, it, it just creates a, a dynamic that you, you just can't manufacture. At
1: one hundred percent, and that's no disrespect to people. People who have been in the brewery, been at McColl's up to this day, like multiple of reasons why things haven't worked out. But I think we've hit upon like a great friendship and dynamic with me and Simon. Uh, how, how just what openness to talk about like everything from mental health through to just silly creative projects. Uh, and I think it's that what you need to, I don't know, just take a bit of pressure off myself and yeah. kind of hand over a little bit of the responsibility and creative flair and knowledge to somebody else. So, yeah, quite... I, I'm trying to put a, a, a lid on the excitement, to be fair, because, <laughs> yeah, we could easily get carried away with... with uh, what we're up to <laughs> yeah so just
0: again swinging it back towards conversations about mental health um what what would you say are some i don't want to say tips but like some advice i don't know um some insights nuggets of wisdom what you want to call yeah, it but, yeah. um as a, as a business owner like um what advice would you give to anyone out there listening um to to this podcast about dealing with employees and their their mental health rather than your own um and any issues that may arise just because obviously we have seen on social media this is slightly different but you know we've seen a lot about um bullying and toxicity in the workplace and um you know y- you can see how tragic and how traumatic it can be for somebody um you know you know from a long-term perspective um or a mental health point of view if um as a business owner or a manager or whatever um you don't deal with people compassionately or kindly yeah so, yeah I mean what what advice and wisdom would you give to anyone as to this who might be in that position where they've got an employee or employees that are struggling mentally um but maybe don't have the the knowledge or even the people skills naturally embedded in them to
1: deal with that properly yeah I think on a professional level i'd probably highly recommend getting like a really good contract in place whether that has a mental health policy in it or not i think just to kind of draw the not draw the boundaries but just kind of the expectations and what's allowed and what's not allowed to happen within a a business the your business framework uh, And then it just kind of clarifies everything. And then hopefully it doesn't create situations where really difficult situations within the business start to develop. Uh, But beyond that, I'd say make mental health really just an open and honest conversation. I suppose it's really difficult for people, especially if they haven't maybe witnessed it or gone through it themselves, Mm. to see it as a potential problem uh, so if it hasn't happened to anybody, I would, I would just put it front and centre of how you work and how you communicate with employees. I think thinking that it won't happen at some point in your business life, either personally or with employees is just kind of denying the inevitable. So I think just uh, offering that like base level compassion, as a bare minimum of just asking how people are, how they're feeling. Uh, Rather than just being 100% demanding all of the time, I think just showing that there's a conversation to be had with your employees is essential. Uh, I know it probably happens after like a weekend or how how you're doing, what you've been up to. But I think as an employee, if you start to see like, little warning signs I think you just need to you need to force yourself to broach the subject and just ask how people are coping yeah
0: I think you hit the nail on the head there about um you know if you've been through mental health issues yourself you're more inclined to be empathetic and understanding than yeah. if you have yeah um, so it, you know it can be quite tough if you haven't been through something to understand what somebody else is going through. But it's it's only when you experience it yourself you're like, oh yeah, I, I know how that
1: feels. Just backtracking, to like what I was meaning about the like getting a good contract in place. I think, especially within the brewing industry, you hear nightmares, and I've been partly to it when I was an empl- when I was employed. You work above and beyond the hours expected of you mm. for free. And I hated that and I hate it now. So having a black and white contract shouldn't, shouldn't fall upon the employed individual to say, right, this is the end of my day. I'm going home now. Because that can be really difficult if they're considered lower down in the pecking order, although I don't say it like that. <laughs> uh, it should be on the, on the employer to be like, right, it's five o'clock. Your, your duty's end now. Get yourself home. If a problem happens, we, we, we fight in. We make sure the beer's in tip-top condition and we adjust hours or we adjust pay accordingly. But setting them boundaries for your work and environment are the, like, the foundations to not having a poor work life and then developing mental health issues around your work-life balance.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, one of the things I was when I managed the Sheffield Brewery. One of the things I I was always keen on doing was making sure that people got off on time. Um, yeah. You know. Hundred percent. You know, I, I was employed to oversee that business, and um, you know, so a, a lot, a lot of the book stopped with me. Um, but but you know, then the owners were were pretty good as well. To me, if I needed to get off, they were like, "No, you go. I'll I'll sort it." You know, we own the business. Um and so they 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 model that pretty well. Um but I have worked in places before where you just expect you were just expected to to you know um to work overtime in, in very much in the same way as like, you know, we 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 die for Salomon. Yeah. Know? And yeah, um, and you know, yeah, I've I've heard it in particularly in in brewing jobs, that um there's that attitude. And again, I think if um you know, it's all coming out in the wash at the moment with um, a company like BrewDog where yeah. they've got these punks for purpose. And, you know, I'm not sitting on either side of the fence with that because I've not worked for BrewDog. I'm not privy to any of that stuff. So I'm just going I'm to, just gonna, anyone listening, yeah. I'm not drawing an opinion on that. I'm just going to let that be and you can read it online and draw your own opinions. I do have opinions, but I'm not airing them on this podcast. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's when you've got that kind of culture of growth at all costs, then for better or worse, you, you tap into it, you know, it's, it feels, and I say this from my own experience, having worked elsewhere, that was, was pretty much like you're on the bus or you're not on the bus kind of attitude, you know, and if you're not on the bus, you're a body under it. Um, you, you, when it's going well and you're tapped into the vision, then, Great, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm on the bus. I'm sold out. I've died for Saraman and all the rest of it. But when you're not on the bus, because of like, maybe mental health issues or you just you just it's just a job, all of a sudden you can be in a position where you feel like somehow you're in the wrong because you're not sold out in the way that the culture there that has been usually has been set by the owner or the leaders, of the organisation, or whatever, says and demands that you should do. And that's terrible for mental health.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, honestly, 100%, again, like echo that. So I think kind of bringing employees into that fold as much as possible, I suppose the bigger the business gets, the more difficult that will always be. But they kind of pushing them boundaries down to kind of talk to your employees and broach subjects but also in a really positive sense, bring them along with the company and set the expectations and have that kind of professional kind of contract and culture in place, hopefully softens that division between being totally and it just being your job. I think the two kind of positions can gel, And I think you then get much better kind of responses out of people if they know they're really respected and that's their job within the brewery or within the business. They don't have to be part of the overriding vision as long as they're respected and they can do their job and not be kind of trod on and like overrun with just work expectations. Yeah,
0: yeah just to touch upon um something you said earlier when you were talking about let's eat pies and talk about mental health um being a, a lower abv because of the um synony- synonym synonymation that's not a real word is it <laughs> <laughs> um, you know um how alcohol and um mental health issues are synonymous um i guess working in the brewing industry drinking alcohol is a bit of an occupational hazard and if you're not Drinking it, chances are you're probably thinking about it. Um, whether you um, r- run a brewery, you are a brewer, or you're like me, you um, are essentially a, a supplier um, of beer-related goods, you know, or um, services. Like, h- how do you see the two of those um, working and coexisting together in a way that's healthy? Um, because obviously it can yeah. be very easy to tip... Um, in a negative way if you're not careful
1: yes I think uh, it's like essential to highlight the potential problems with alcohol and mental health um, I wouldn't say I've been like anywhere bad with kind of consumption of alcohol and mental health but you definitely pick up on the, the increased consumption when you're feeling rubbish uh, and it's almost like a default action uh, and I suppose that's, that maybe is generally across the uh, public rather than just brewing professionals but maybe it's, it's easier and it's more kind of accepted within the brewing industry um, which is a wrong thing which is wrong um, so on a kind of positive angle with alcohol I suppose it's more the kind of environment that it creates can be extremely positive to deal with mental health issues. Uh, it is an excellent kind of bringing together of individuals, whether that be for celebrations, for commiserations, or for just the absolute day-to-day sense of like belonging. And community of like a, your favorite pub or bottle shop or tap room or even internet forum these days, mm. it can be like, it can really make you feel like you're part of something, uh, which is massively highlighted by like men's pie club is to help tackle social isolation and a lack of belonging in men within the northeast of England, or within Newcastle specifically. So I think alcohol, and more specifically pubs, and the sense of community that can be formed around beer specifically, is extremely powerful. And even to the point of, if that sense of community and belonging is there, the actual downsides of alcoholism and mental health are almost, they're not removed at all, but there's, there's people, there's watch guards there's, there's people who can act as like kind of touch points if that ever gets out of control. Fear and mental health, I think, gets worse when you're on your own and you feel you can't find an answer, mm. and alcohol would become that answer. I'm very fortunate in that, in that I've got an amazing wife who is totally and utterly open and honest and aware of like mental health on its own but then the effect that alcohol could have on it as well. But if you don't have even a single individual it can be extremely negative. So bringing people together over a conversation through Twitter or through going to your local pub, I think it's got amazing kind of (laughs) it's not potential it's been proven that these arenas these environments can do brilliant things for people's like mental health, lack of uh, isolation, sense of community and belonging. So mega yeah. positives.
0: Totally. Well, well, I think we'll end on that positive note. It's, it's been great having you on, on the, the podcast. Um, I, I guess I've got one more question. I, yeah, yeah. I ask this to, to most of my guests to look into their crystal ball and tell me what, where they feel like they see the brewing industry heading over the next, used to be like the next five years, but with the pandemic And with the Delta variant, anything's possible at the moment. So, I don't know, where do you think craft beer will be in in the UK by Christmas?
1: (laughs) I was going to give you a big hairy prediction for like five years down the line there. (laughs) Um, I think it'll be in a very similar position at Christmas. I think pubs, I think trade will be nowhere near normal. I think it'll maybe be very similar to where it is now. I think there'll be a lack of confidence. I think the pandemic will still be front and centre of everybody's mind. So I think the issues kind of raised in tonight's podcast and the general kind of prevalence of mental health issues will still be, well, they're not going to disappear by Christmas, but they're still going to be soaring uh, within the industry. Um, I think on maybe a more positive note and maybe a little bit more long term within the industry specifically, I think the quality of beer is already starting to really go up in the right direction. I think a lot of breweries are stepping up to the mark, learning a lot of lessons, but making vast improvements. The amount of high-quality breweries and high-quality beer getting put out there at the minute is excellent, uh, is on the increase. But I think what's really going to differentiate breweries now, because all of them are going to have brilliant beer, is going to be that genuine sense of purpose and why, and what are you doing above and beyond just knocking out yep. like top-class beer. I'll keep on buying your beer, and. I'll keep on, like, supporting you. But if there's, like, X brewery and Y brewery on a bar and they've both got all of them brilliant attributes, I'm going for the one that gives me a bit more purpose and kind of, like, reason for for supporting them. So I think that's where it's going to go next.
0: Yeah, that topic is a whole other podcast in and of itself. But, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, you, you're absolutely spot on. It's, um, b- before the, the pandemic hits. I got some brochures made for Hot Forward. And the, um, the, the, on the front, there was a can that said something like, brewing great beers simply won't cut it anymore. Yeah. And when you open it up on the inside, it was like, you know, you can brew great beers, but um, and you can put a snazzy label on it. But um, there are loads of great beers with snazzy labels on them. Yeah, You know, um, what is it that's going to differentiate, essentially what's going to differentiate you from the next brewery down the road? Because I remember when microbreweries, and we're talking like, you know, early noughties, where you'd go on the website and be like, we make beer with the finest malt and the best hops and all the rest of it. It's like, yeah, great everyone does no one's going to put that our hops are really skunky and oxidized <laughs> and our malt was sort of a bit soggy when it arrived um and yeah you, you know having having that the, those visions and those values um to underpin the the entirety of your business yeah. is it, just paramount to it, it it and I do a, a branding session on all this it, it, it informs what people see above the surface it informs yeah. all the design stuff it informs yeah. how you pick up the phone and answer or how your uh delivery driver deals with customers or how you know you deal with chasing invoices you know whether you you do that in a, a nice respecting tone and all the rest of it rather than kind of you've not paid as payers now.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah no like the expectations from the the consumer's point of view is, is like, yeah, what you were saying, we should expect all this brilliant beer and these jazzy labels and everything. Uh, uh, but yeah, you have to have that deep within your kind of business ethic that how do you want to run the business? How do you want to be seen? How do you want to deal with individuals? How do you want to like just be portrayed? I think it kind of maybe gets lost if it's not like deep down core values, I think it can be kind of easily glossed over. Mm. So I think there are some very forefront breweries on this now, and you can just see what certain aspects within either the industry or why their society mean to them. And they're taking like great strides in the individual kind of stories and stuff. So now I hope it becomes a expectation of many craft breweries. In the the short term really yeah i think um people get so
0: offended by breweries that don't uphold the values they purport to hold up and uh, like you know um if it if they either don't have the integrity or probably more importantly they're not perceived to have the integrity by a yeah. person who shares those values. Now they're two very different things because I'm not gonna name names, but you've yeah. one brewery which might say, we do this, 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 and this, and then it comes out in the wash that They don't actually do this, 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 and this, and there's all kinds of, you know, toxicity in, in yeah. the culture and all the rest of it. And it's like, well, you know, um, your values don't align with what you say they are, but then you might get another brewery that do have the right values, but people are perceiving that they've not got the right values. And, um, that's, again, that's, I think that's why having integrity and integrity to your values is, is, is so fundamental, um, because it, it, it p- people do pick upon it and yeah. sooner or later it, it, it gets picked up, um, and it, that can do more damage. It's like to, to a business. Um, yeah. it, it, it's like when one brewery goes into a supermarket and everyone loses it because maybe they said they wouldn't versus another brewery that goes in the supermarket who never said that they wouldn't. Yeah. But everyone, like, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like no one bats an eyelid about the latter. It's kind of like, oh yeah, yay, I can buy them in a supermarket. Whereas the first is like, whoa, what are you doing? You know, you, you've you
1: offended our values. Absolutely. It it really is. I think uh, kind of, I don't know, that's a bit of a minefield. Yeah. I suppose it comes down to the, the kind of business ethos and where you position yourself and how you God, how you tell your story and stuff. Uh how you come across to people, how you act and react with people. So yeah, it's definitely something we're well learning and feeling a bit more confident in as well. Yeah. About talking about certain things and hopefully, wait, most definitely wanting to be kind of critiqued and kind of be part of a conversation because then you start to kind of respect it and hopefully follow through on it a bit more as well. I suppose it's the difference between just listing kind of what you want to do and actually following through. Yeah. And they don't happen separately. This like hopefully one will start to merge into the other. That like you've you've created this list and you over time start to tick them off and grow and mature. But yeah, there's its It's a difficult one to tread, but you have to aspire to kind of want to grow it into your every day-to-day kind of thinking and approach. Yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. Brill, well, it's been great having your show, Danny, and actually get to see you face-to-face, albeit digitally. Um, I know we've had conversations and stuff over the magic of email and stuff before and and, uh, social media. So how can people get hold of your beer and uh, just find out more about the brewery?
1: Yeah, so... Uh, if we're talking trade, they can obviously get in touch on social media or email, go by the website, sign up to a trade mailing list. Honestly, you send a carrier pigeon to the brewery, we'll get you beer. So if you're in trade, don't be shy and get in touch with uh, all of the usual means. If you want to get with beer as like uh, somebody out there, you can get online, mccallsbrewery.co.uk, a full and up-to-date uh, web shop you can get down to the tap room if you're local open fortnightly uh, check out the website or socials always up to date love keeping like things fresh uh obviously you can uh, check out loads of independent like bottle shops across the country we try and get beer all over the place so if we're not in your bottle shop ask for it. Uh, we're really keen and proactive in getting beer out there. So if you're in the northeast, you'll probably find one of the the many bottle shops. Otherwise, uh, get in touch. I'll I'll sort you out. I, I don't like kind of people missing out on getting more beer. So nice. I'll drive round to your house. Yeah, <laughs> all the way. I, I would sort it
0: <laughs> all the way down to Lands End in Cornwall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! I've just dropped yeah. you. Yeah. And on that bombshell. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. I three of, uh, little well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business we make your beer look as good as it tastes and we help you brew up a better business through branding marketing and consultancy remember to follow us on social media at hot forward beers and for another week cheers